Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 47, Episode 20 of SNL with host Selena Gomez and musical guest Post Malone. I'm Catherine Coleman, and along for the ride this week are Steve Finn and NYC sketch comedy writer, actor, and improviser Tyler J. Oakley. You can follow Tyler on Instagram at Tyler J. Oaks, which reads as Tyler Jokes because he's funny like that. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at SNLpodcast.com. All right, here we go. Hello there, everybody. It's good to be back. I'm really excited to break down this episode. For me, it, it was a little bit of a roller coaster, so I'm really excited to see what you guys thought. And um, as I say that, I'm, I'm realizing that I should introduce the guys that are here with me. So up first, you know him, you love him, Steve Finn. How you doing, Steve? Hello, Catherine. It's great to be here, as always. Really excited yeah. to get into it with you. Great to have you. And uh, our guest this week joining us is Tyler Oakley. Hey, Tyler. How's it going? What's up, Catherine? How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, Tyler here writes for the sketch team I direct over at the Laugh Index Theater, uh, as well as the Boogie Manja team, Easy Tiger. He also writes and produces comedy shorts that you can watch on his YouTube channel, Tyler J. Oakley, not to be confused with the other Tyler Oakley. Uh, he's tremendously talented and hardworking. I, I love getting to collaborate with Tyler. Uh, but more important than any of your knowledge or skills or personality is uh, your SNL cred. So, Tyler, can you talk to us for just, just a moment about uh, how, how you got into SNL? What, what's your favorite era? What's your, what's your home as far as SNL goes? Well, first of all, thanks for for complimenting me and then saying, but first we gotta we gotta test him. It just it puts it all <laughs> you just really up the ante and then put it all on the line. Um <clears throat> I got into SNL circa twenty fifteen, the latter end of twenty fifteen. Uh when I it was the, the presidential primaries of the election I don't need to remind anyone about. Um but what I noticed is like it seemed SNL was like calling the shots with the candidates. Um, when they ripped Ben Carson a new asshole for um, having been or saying he was stabbed, like a week later he was out of the race. And like <laughs> when when Trump hosted around there, like his didn't his campaign ratings shoot up right after that? I think so. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if they were just good at like reflecting on on what was happening and mirroring it, or if they were really calling the shots. But um, I was like, these guys really have some power, so I took to it then. Um, and I know I'm SNL say, and Fallon definitely had uh, <laughs> got some flack for uh, making Trump more likable at the time. Yeah. yeah. And I love how they got all the flack after the fact. Like when it was happening, it was all <laughs> cool. And then when he got elected, it was, oh, now yeah. it's not funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I like that era because that's when I first got into it. Um, I think my mm -hmm. favorite cast is right when Melissa Villasenor came in as the new member. Yeah, I think that was really... I mean, that's when I started with it. That's when I took to it. So I think that's always going to be yeah. my, my go-to era. Well, lucky for you, a lot of those people are still here. So <laughs> Most of them, in fact. Isn't the cast right. like the biggest it's ever been right now? It is. I, I think there's 21 of them, uh, plus the Please Don't Destroy guys that appear you know, fairly regularly. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great. Well, Just yeah, that's... Um, bigger too. That's a solid era. I think that's, you know, I, I watched SNL off and on forever, but that was kind of a similar time for me where I was like, oh, this is, I, I love this and I will watch it every week obsessively. Um, so like before that point, I was aware of it. I watched it, you know, 
and since then I've, I've gone back and, you know, really studied it. But, uh, that was a definitely a special time because I think, you know, the, the events of the world were just seemed so important and like they were just looming and like the Kate McKinnon and Alec Baldwin thing was just really played up. Like it was, it was a big pop culture thing. So it's a good time to get into it, I think. All right. Well, so we've established your cred. We've established that you know what you're talking about. You're a funny dude. Uh, are, we, are we ready to talk about the episode we have in front of us? So ready. For the cold open, SNL takes a look at the Johnny Depp Amber Heard cuckoo trial. Steve, what'd you think of this? I enjoyed it for its highs and its lows, I guess. You know, it wasn't the greatest thing I've ever seen, but uh, for as little as they touched on the Depp Heard trial, I think it makes sense to kind of depict it in the courtroom. Um, I, I try not to look at it. You know, it's it's one of those news stories where I'm like, this this isn't really what I should be paying attention to. Like, there's real stuff going out there. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it's hard to avoid. It's, a lot of people are talking about it. So SNL can't really avoid it either. I think the the best part of this was Cecily. I think she was kind of the surrogate for everyone watching. She spoke uh, for everyone who's, you know, not really at stake here. Cause obviously a judge would not be so cavalier about it all, but that's how we feel watching this. You know, we don't watch it because it's important. We don't watch it because we need to, we want to, and it's fun. And yeah, her, her attitude towards it all just speaks for all of us. I think so that was the real brilliance. Other than that, you know, it was, uh, it was, yeah, there was, there were more lows than highs. I would say like everybody that was on the video was fun. You know, Keenan, uh, Ego, uh, Chris and Melissa were all great. I guess that's just like more of like the common man, uh, showing all these people of, of working class, uh, you know, observing this and, and giving their take on it. So it, uh, yeah, there were laughs to be had, uh, but the highs were were scarce. I would say. Yeah, that, that that's all fair. Uh, Tyler, where did you land on it? I I kind of think um, Mooney's impression left a little. I I couldn't help but think there were better Johnny Depp impressions lying around. But as we're talking about it, I think a really spot on Johnny Depp kind of would have distracted from where they were trying to focus, which was on the the gardener and the the housekeeper. When that whole shebang first went down. Um, I saw some of the YouTube videos of Johnny being funny, but I didn't really pay too much attention otherwise. Because my thought was like, whatever narrative I take away from this is not going to be the actual narrative. This is a televised event. <laughs> and it's being put together by, you know, lawyers and, and you know, the companies and, and shit like that. So I was like, we're, we're not really going to get a clear idea of what's going on. So to me, I didn't really see a point. And what I like that SNL did is they didn't take a side with the commentary. The commentary was kind of Cecily Strong's character saying, this is immature, this is for fun, and this is really not what a trial's supposed to be about. And I thought, I usually mm-hmm. don't like poop-centric humor, ever. Um, but that being said, I thought it was a smart choice to apoliticize it, take no sides between Depp and Heard by like making it a poop-centric sketch, where it's gross mm-hmm. and not necessarily funny, but entirely apolitical and juvenile and um, didn't say anything controversial or really hard hitting. I think that was a a smart, Mm -hmm. a smart choice. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that that was, that was the right angle to take it because it allowed them 
It didn't get caught up in the thing that we often see in a cold open of just a rehash of crazy things people said. They were they like took a, a crazy thing and then built a world around that. And I do think that was really smart. Other than that, uh, I'll admit I haven't watched the trial uh, very much at all. Um, I've seen the general headlines, but I haven't watched it. And that's really evidenced by the fact that my interpretation of the Cal Mooney impression, I was very confused because I've lived 30 years thinking Johnny Depp was British. And he is oh. not. You thought Johnny Depp was British? I did. I was like, "This is why isn't he doing the accent?" Uh, did you know? So, you, so, so Jack Sparrow kind of made you think he was. I guess. I guess. I. 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 I, I have to. I'll blame it on that. I, that was sort of my first awareness of Johnny Depp. So yeah. Um. So yeah, that undermines really any opinion I have on the piece because <laughs> I clearly don't know anything at all. Uh. So yeah, like Tyler said, I think I think it, it was a smart move. The timing was a little awkward, a little clunky at parts. Um. I I wouldn't say I agree with Steve. I wouldn't say it had very high highs, but it wasn't a political cold open. So you know, I'm not gonna. I'll call it a win for that. I gotta ask you a question before we move on. Do we think that the MSNBC opening with Kate was necessary for this? No. Not necessary, but I liked it. It was just solid jokes one after the other. There were like five of them. And I thought it was an effective intro. Yeah, it had like some solid jokes. And if the sketch overall had been longer, I would have complained about how that wasn't unnecessary. But it came in at like five minutes, so it's fine. I can live with it. Yeah, that's sure. All right. Well, I think we've talked enough about that. Let's get into the monologue. Or Selena Gomez is comforted by the wise words of an old co-star. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. Tyler, where'd you land on this? Um, so there's a reason you went with that on the way in. And to me, if you can end the monologue with getting the whole place to sing the Barney song, <laughs> that's it, it's just the fact that it happened kind of makes the monologue for me. Not necessarily that it's that that's hilarious, true. but it's like, wait, you pulled that off. That's it was a solid ending. <laughs> Looking at the monologue, to me, there were there were two segments. There was the promoting of only murders, and then the mm-hmm. second one was just three cast members in sequence tried to get with Selena Gomez. Um, mm-hmm. The only murder section, I didn't get that she was on a show called Only Murders. I didn't get that Martin Short and Steve Martin were her co stars. So I only really. Um, <laughs> so you were out of the loop. I was out of the loop. Yeah. And I, get, I watched it again, and I guess she kind of made that clear, but I, I, I missed it. She got me when she started doing the Miley Cyrus impression. Uh, yeah. yeah. So good. Miley's not only one of my favorite SNL hosts, but uh, yeah, knowing those two have history and seeing her do the impression was, was rewarding. The second part, I'm single, and then they all jockey for her attention. It, it seemed kind of flat to me. Um, to me, Punky Johnson was the punchline. Um, that being said, mm-hmm. she was she's a great punchline because she's super charismatic and um, just like warm, and she's got that big smile. So she's fun to see come in at the uh, tertiary moment to to mm-hmm. honor the rule of threes. Um, so it was pretty middle of the road, but when they came out or when they walked away with the Barney song, I was like, okay, you pushed it just above a solid five for me. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think this this was decent. Like each each section of it, I was fine with. I thought they they had good moments in each one, but since it was just very clearly like different sections, it just felt a little unfocused, right? It felt a little all over the place. Uh, it didn't 
didn't smooth together very well at all. Uh, and that, that wasn't really helped by the fact that Selena was obviously <laughs> very, very, very nervous. Um, oh, really? And I don't think she... You, you, did you not get that? No, that was not my takeaway. Oh. Steve, did you feel like she was nervous? Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, sh- she does have that vocal fry all the time. I know like that could be from a tightness of the chest, but I think she just talks like that. But uh, I f- yeah, maybe because not even just in this monologue, but throughout, like right. she did feel like there was some kind of trappage of energy and she wasn't mm-hmm. quite willing to jump straight out of her skin with this. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I didn't find it maybe as distracting as you did, Catherine. Maybe nervous is the wrong word, but something felt off about her energy and her presence. And I, and to me, it carried throughout the show of like, she just, she seems a little stiff. She seems, she's, she seems uncomfortable, uh, sort of, uh, not, I don't know, because I find generally speaking, Selena Gomez to be like a charming, fun person. Um, but so, something something was off, whether it was nerves or or whatever. But that that didn't help uh, the monologue, as far as I was concerned. So it didn't. It gave me a little tinge of. It made me nervous about like what's the rest of the show gonna be. Uh, but that said, uh, her amazing Miley Cyrus impression did give me some some good energy there because it was astounding. So uh, I was I was intrigued but uh, hesitant to see where this would lead us to. Uh, now, Steve, what what do you think of the rest of it? I think everything has been said. Uh, you know, the ending of the w- with the Bernie song and just confirming that every audience member of age has that locked in their brain forever. That was a great way to end it. This was a pretty good monologue. It it helped us to realize, you know, Selena Gomez is not just this pop star. She's been around since she was a small child. Uh, you know, in the business in the industry, so. Anybody who might not take her seriously as she should be, um, that that kind of sets the record straight, I think. So, yeah, a good introduction to our host. It's the first time I've heard the assessment that, like, uh, being a cast member of Barney is what makes you a serious entertainer in this business. <laughs> like, she's, she did her time, guys. She's got her street cred. All right. Well, that that's the monologue. Let's move along. To brats. They're dolls for girls too old for Claire's and too young for Talbot's. Steve, uh, are you, I guess, first of all, are you familiar with brats dolls? Oh, I wish I wasn't. And I wish <laughs> okay. I wasn't for the reason that they didn't exist. But I guess we do live in a world where brats against the will of every mother and father out there is marketed uh, to children far too young to be thinking about acting like this or having these kinds of values. Yeah. I really uh, enjoyed this. Uh, You know, Sarah Sherman is, is always great. And you got some really funny stuff here with just the obsession with, with her dad. And, you know, I've never watched brats, but I I would imagine that they're so self-absorbed to just, you know, be wrapped up in whatever they want to talk about and just ignore the problems of the child completely. And, you know, against all the <laughs> protests from Sarah's character, you know, they just wanted to uh, continue babbling on about themselves. It was a fun sketch, uh, you know, to just play with, you know, makeup and costume and and uh, and uh, yeah, get into uh, 
get into these uh, very despicable characters. Cool. Uh, fair enough. I, I like the idea here a lot because uh, Bratz dolls definitely have a weird vibe. They And I thought uh, Bowen, Selena, and AD captured it really well because, uh, I mean, these dolls, their whole vi- thing is that they're they're brats they they're bitchy they're promiscuous like uh so i love that they're doing something with that because it definitely is a strange thing i'm just i'm not sure this is the right vessel for it because i sort of felt like all the stuff with sarah took away from it and like you said steve it it, it is good in the sense of it highlights how sort of narcissistic the brats are um but i sort of felt like because they kept going back to that, it just limited the things that the brats could do. You know, I would, I wouldn't have hated to see brats dolls just generally in the world, you know? Um, so I don't know. I wish they had a little bit more brats focus, a little bit more heightening, uh, but it, it wasn't bad. It, I, it, I enjoyed it. They were clearly having fun with it, which is, which always makes something more enjoyable. Um, yeah, it just, it just wasn't quite uh, as good as I thought it could be. Tyler, what'd you make of it? Um, well, I just think it, it really speaks to the originality of a sketch when you have Sarah Sherman as the normal one, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> just like, okay, once she's the voice of reason, like you have a really out there concept. So uh, <laughs> for that. I'm not familiar with Bratz dolls, so I wasn't clear what they were spoofing. I was like, are they just spoofing bad examples for children? Are they spoofing all the worst people of Los Angeles? Um but to me, what it kind of came down to was uh, it was that update segment A.D. Bryant and Bo and Yang do with the you're out. What's that thing? <laughs> the trendsetters. Yeah, it was pretty much that bit, but they just stuck uh, Selena Gomez in the middle. Um, I, I can see where you'd get that from. Yeah. Yeah. Similar vibes. And structurally, it seemed to match the whole. Um, what's the one Emma Stone always does where the posters in Pete Davidson's room come to life and she's just the annoying one? Yeah, mm-hmm. structurally. I don't know what they technically call it, but yeah. Yeah, it, it followed that same format. They just switched out the Emma Stone character for Bowen Yang, A.D. Bryant's trendsetter character. Yeah, so uh, maybe a, overall, maybe a little middle of the road on this one. Uh, let's keep going. Old Enough, long-term boyfriend edition, sends helpless men to do something much harder than adult Legos, an errand. Uh, Tyler, did you feel personally attacked by this? Yeah, only when they got to the shallots part, because I'm not entirely clear what shallots are. Uh, I don't <laughs> think it's reasonable that a 34-year-old be well-versed in what exactly a shallot is. I knew it's an onion, but like not a real onion, so that would have been confusing. Oh, yeah, it's like shaped funny. It's like a funny-shaped onion. Yeah, I, I don't get why they're necessary. <laughs> this was one of, one of the highlight sketches for me. Um, I've never seen the show that they're referring to, but I thought the mapping from that show over to The Helpless Boyfriend... Um, work nicely and I, I felt it's the kind of relationship nobody has to have exactly seen or been in to wrap their head around um, you, you don't mm-hmm. have to know somebody who is in this relationship to really be like oh okay here's this guy who was codependent on his mother and now has his girlfriend step in <laughs> my biggest question is right. where are all these girlfriends if this is a common thing like who are these girls who are just doing waiting on their guys hand and foot like where do, where do they gather do they have a watering Wait, hole you, you- <laughs> Can you find one? Is what you're asking? Just let me, yeah, let me know when you find them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me let me find their uh, headquarters and then assert myself in that community. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one too. Uh, I've been I've been hearing about this old enough show. I haven't watched it yet, but I have an awareness of it. I've I've seen little clips. I've seen memes, uh, and I I think doing that with an adult man is just so funny because it. I'm sorry. It's just very true. Um, <laughs> my husband is incapable of going to the store without calling me with a question. 
Like he'll do it. He's very like independent, but like it, he'll get there and he's like, sorry, what brand of chicken stock was it? Like he has some something that throws it off that he needs my assistance with. So I thought this was very relatable in that sense. Uh, it came from a really great place. I thought all of the beats were really good, like crying in Sephora, meeting Keenan, 10 pounds onions, great little punchlines thrown in, like calling it Sephora. Uh, just just a, a lot to love here. And Mikey Day did a really, really good job with it. Um, this was a very, very solid Mikey Day performance. Steve, have you ever been on an errand alone? Yes. <laughs> I'd like to think I'm a little more capable than this, but hey, <laughs> you know, I, I at least know what a shallot is. Okay. It's kind of like, you know, a, a shriveled up red onion, basically. It's yeah. a red onion meets a, a bulb of garlic. That is of. a very good description. Yeah, yeah. See, mm-hmm. so uh, I'm single, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's between this and the boyfriend dog park sketch. There seems to be like uh, a lot of conversations going on at SNL about uh, uh, boyfriends and <laughs> where the line is drawn and, and their usefulness. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I, I get it. Like, I I know that, uh, I mean, it happens to everyone, like being in a long-term relationship and, and just losing that, that drive to go out and meet someone really does wonders to your, to your cognition. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, you just get comfortable. I've not seen this show either, but uh, I hear it's very cute. Um, and it seems like they got, the the look of it down with the backpack and the flag and <laughs> the flag yeah so like cute. yeah the flag is great but Mikey like he said is 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 just the beauty of this because I think he latches on to enough like toddler like qualities while still having a uh, you know an adult male uh, vibe going through it mm-hmm. but yeah like he did really well with just the stress of it because even without the playing up the childishness of it, I, I think I can understand, understand the stress of going into a makeup shop and, you know, trying to remember the exact wording of like one in a million products that are out there. But yeah, like just, just literally the tears like coming down his, uh, down his face was <laughs> just a great little touch. Yeah. Yeah. All of this was, was pretty good. This is, I think, one of the higher points of the show. Yeah, I, I agree. This is a high point. And you, something you said reminded me because, because <laughs> like, obviously like men aren't totally helpless. Obviously there are a million things that I'm incapable of doing that Nathan has to help me with. Uh, but it is interesting because like you said, this isn't the first time we've seen a sketch like this. And I think it's, it is interesting and worth noting that uh, as part of the influence of having more, you know, uh, females, staff writers, female producers, etc. because we have, you know, decades of, you know, my parents, for instance, I was just with them. They were watching Everybody Loves Raymond. And, and the whole thing of that show is that Deborah's awful. <laughs> I mean, not the whole thing, but like, you know, every <laughs> sitcom from the 90s was basically like, ha ha ha, she's so naggy and I'm so cool. Um, so it, it is sort of uh, fun to see that being being turned around slowly uh, and seeing more of these things about targeted at uh, y'all's quirkiness. You know, let's move along. To peek at Pico, Pico Rivera's number one public access show. It's good. Uh, now, Tyler, you're originally from San Francisco, right? That's true, yeah. Generally. 
Uh, so that makes you a resident Californian. Uh, the sketch is about a place in California. I realize it's not an area in San Francisco, but what'd you think? Yeah, it, it looked a little more LA to me. And I lived in San Diego. I went to college in San Diego and lived there for three years. Um, gotcha. I, I, I couldn't nail down exactly what the game was slash I'm a little afraid to make my guess lest that be I was like is the game that they're dumb because that seemed to be the joke in some places is the game that's sad like is that I thought that should have been the title of the sketch that's sad um yeah <laughs> I I got a little inside baseball right before the episode on Melissa Villasenor's Instagram she said she was inspired by a girl at Target who said that's sad um, <laughs> I saw that, yeah. But my first instinct was I thought this was like a writer personality insert sketch where they like see a situation, they imagine like, oh, how would I react there? And it's not how they actually would react, but it's the most silly, you know, ver- it's a very mm-hmm. Larry David type of situation. He puts himself in and it's not actually, but, but yeah, I couldn't, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was all fun, but I didn't, I couldn't quite nail down specifically what they were going for. Yeah, I, I think that's a really fair critique because you're right. It doesn't have a very strong, very clear game. Because uh, I think, I don't know, this sort of falls in into a genre uh, that SNL did a lot of in like the early 2000s with Maya Rudolph and uh, Amy Poehler. But, you know, like the uh, the sweater weather thing, uh, like those those kind of talk shows, they would do a lot of them uh, sort of back then. And it was it was mainly just about making a character of the host. Um, it wasn't very wasn't very specific but it was just sort of throwing things at that character and seeing what was funny about it and this felt a lot like that uh so it just wasn't a very gamey sketch i will say i didn't love it the first time i watched it last night when i rewatched it this morning uh i was just sort of more along for the ride because i had figured out where pico rivera was i had like let go of whatever my expectation had been and i was just sort of rolling with it and i was having more fun because it is at the end of the day it's just silly it's just them doing a silly accent uh or an accent done to an extreme that makes it silly uh, and repeating it a bunch until it is funny. So like, by the time on my rewatch, we got to Chris's rap and they like leaned out and gave those catchphrases like back to back. I was, I was having a good time with it. Um, and, but what, what I, all, another thing I really like is that it is tailored for the host. You know, uh, this is something that Melissa could have had in her back pocket for a while, just waiting for like a good Latina host to come along and like pull this out and have a little pee in the pod to do it with. Um, so yeah, it's it's not it's not a high point for me, but I, I do see what's fun about it, and uh, I appreciate that it is like a Selena Gomez sketch, you know. Uh, Steve, where'd you land? I landed in 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 light favor of it. There wasn't much to it. That's that's pretty much it. Like there's a a character like Quirk that they worked out and played it for laughs in in different settings, and you know a lot of the comedy comes from. Taking these, you know, people you might see in common everyday life, but they're a little too common, a little too everyday to be the hosts of shows. And uh, it's funny because, like, when you want to go for relatable on the show, you can't just go for straight like someone off the street. But yeah, it uh, it seemed to be just like you know they were just out of their element and were doing a show the best they they knew how to do without really kind of being in the business and it seems like they were surrounded by people more professional and people that were more used to how like a television show worked like they had a reporter out there trying to give a story and you know they did they just didn't seem to know how things worked um yeah 
I think I think it just the fact that they were Latino was more of a a flavor to add to that to that premise. So yeah, overall maybe, maybe again a, a little bit middle of the road. Uh, it, it's there's something to enjoy here, but not not high heights. All right, let's move along. This performance of the Storm Within has an all understudy cast, including the penis. Steve, what'd you think of this? You know, it was interesting. Uh, because I, I caught wind of the uh, the incident that they were making fun of with Jesse Williams and mm-hmm. him hanging dong and someone taking a picture, having it leaked, and now they're using what infrared cameras to to <laughs> survey the audience. Seems a little extreme, but I don't know. It's it's it seems like like the premise that they went for was kind of disconnected from this this inspiration in a way because they basically just rehashed sketches that they've done before where it's you know a bunch of uh a bunch of amateur actors kind of like stumbling through a a play and, and not really not doing well and just coming up with creative ways of of failing to deliver your lines properly uh so yeah i guess they just used this new story to bring it back as an excuse and kind of just shoehorn that in in places yeah i agree it was it was a little clunky it had some unnecessary bits to it um and at its core it is something we've seen before although it's some it's not something we've seen in a while so i'm okay with it uh because it did because it wasn't something you know for instance that we've seen this season uh or even last uh it did feel a little fresh in that sense you know because i don't know once you watch enough sketch comedy, you've seen everything. So like uh, <laughs> I did, I did once we were into the play uh, and became the sort of Abbott and Costello bit of with the lines, you know, line, whose line, we, you know, all that stuff. I, I was good to go along with it. I was happy to, to ride that with them and let it subvert what I thought they were going to do next. Um, I think, but yeah, it just, it felt something was off about it. I don't think we needed Melissa and Mikey's roles uh, and, while like Keenan's speech at the beginning was hilarious, um, and I, I like all that they were doing with the character, it maybe just could have gotten to the play faster. So yeah, just some stuff here that, that felt a little clunky and a little kind of messed with the pace of it. Um, but that said, I, I I enjoyed the ride, but it it, it wasn't a home run by any means. Um, Tyler, where'd you land on it? Um, so I didn't didn't get that there was a a news story that it related to. So I was kind mm-hmm. of at the same place with it. Um, I was with um, uh, Pika Pico, where it was like we had one game was the penis thing, one game was a community theater on understudy mm-hmm. night, one game was the Melissa Via Senor Mikey Day couple, which I guess that relationship could be a nice voice to keep the ball bouncing in a sketch. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel it really served that purpose, and I like the Abbott and Costello segment too, but I felt like to really do that style, it's got to be snappy, it's got to be quick. Yeah, that's um, true. There can't be a lot of like dead time in between. To me, the best part of this sketch only occurred to me the second time watching is Keenan Thompson. His character can be angry while he's smiling throughout the whole sketch, and it doesn't take away from the sketch at all. I don't <laughs> you know, know how he does it. If he had yeah. actually looked angry, it would have been just as good a sketch as him smiling. And it's like that's to me what defines a captivating performer. Like he completely didn't represent the mindset of the character and it was just as good a sketch anyway. That's, that's yeah. a pro. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch Keenan do anything, honestly. 
uh, as evidenced by the fact he's been on TV my whole life. So, yeah, so th- another one that's uh, ultimately landing kind of in the middle of the road. Things to things to laugh at, but not a great overall uh, piece. So let's keep going. American Inventors tells the story of Dina Beans and how she inspired dozens of gag toys. Tyler, did you enjoy this one? I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I, at, at the beginning, <laughs> I was I was like, we're this is a long way to go for a fart joke. Um, where they, they had like, <laughs> a person who inspired, and then as it kept going, I was like, oh, okay, so it's not just the fart joke we're doing. This is the person who inspired all the classic gag toys. Um, mm-hmm. thought it, it was just a weird way to go about it, like have a person personify all these little joke shop toys. Um, a thought I had, I don't know if you ever do this when writing. Steve, do you write sketch comedy? Uh, no, I mean, I'm more of a, I mean, I have written them, but I'm more of an improv guy it, okay. and it's definitely been a while. Well, I would assume this happens more in improv, but sometimes, uh, Catherine, I don't know if you do this where you're, you're like writing a sketch and you mean to take it one place and then you do, but you're at the bottom of like page two and you're like, okay, where do I go from here? And then the sketch becomes about something else. So it occurred yeah. to me that might've been where this was going like, oh, let's do the where did the whoopee cushion come from? And we'll do a fart joke. And then they get two pages in and it's like, all right, let's extend this to the shocking pen and the shocking handshake and the peanuts where the snakes come out. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then once you've done that, it basically becomes a pacing issue of the first beat of the sketch was two pages. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked at the <laughs> thing and I was like, I, I think they were 90 seconds in by the time they got to the second beat, which actually isn't too bad. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt watching it, the pacing wasn't, there was so much on the first one and then the second ones were like real quick. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I did like it though. Uh, I, I had a good time with it. It was great to see Steve Martin. Uh, and I love sketches where you take something that's really, really silly or stupid and you put it in the most serious setting possible. So here we have great American inventors and you think it's going to be, you know, the car assembly line. Um, and then it's, a whoopee cushion and then it's more silly things um so like, i do love that that container for this i think that's really fun uh and i think both 80 and steve i like that they both had really fully developed characters um dina beans is such a funny name too um so, so yeah I, I had fun i like the idea that that these things were somehow inspired by just the most unlucky lady in the world um so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, but but you're right. It, there is something a little off about the pacing of that front half. So, Steve, what'd you think? Well, you know, as, as great as Steve Martin is, I enjoyed this for 80. This was yep. just made to play to 80's strengths and, mm-hmm. you know, allow 80 to do all the things we love to see 80 do. She's so funny physically. And, uh, yeah, she can make you laugh a thousand ways just with a... Uh, just with a, a, a slight of misfortune uh, coming her way. And uh, I can see where, where, you know, this might've sputtered at the beginning. I see, I see the, uh, I see the truth in that comment, but I still had fun with like things like the idea that he couldn't figure out what a whoopee cushion, what kind of sound a whoopee cushion should make with like <laughs> the yeah. very nature of a whoopee cushion. Like it couldn't it make any so other obvious, sound. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just think it's so funny, an idea that every little uh, novelty uh, toy gag gift you could 
think of was all inspired by the the misfortunes of one person. And Dana beans. Yeah. You take that, you you uh apply it to a, a very recognizable like A and E type uh documentary feel. Um and uh I think you got something that works here. Did you feel the Steve Martin character needed to be played by Steve Martin? Like I'm always happy to see him. I love him, but uh aside from promoting only murders, did did it need to be Steve Martin? It did not. It could have easily been a cast member. Yeah. Yeah. And you it wouldn't have had that. He's the, he's there for the novelty of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, more of a win than, than the ones before it, uh, stuff to like here, especially Steve Martin, but you're right. Uh, 80 Bryant, uh, this was a real 80 vehicle. This was a very, very solid mm-hmm. performance from 80. Let's move along. Post Malone performs cooped up featuring Roddy Rich and love slash hate letter to alcohol. Steve, did you like these performances? I guess not really my bag, not my cup of tea. You have to. <laughs> yeah. I didn't fast forward it. I, I've always felt that Post Malone was very talented and maybe wasn't. I don't know if he actually likes his own music. I think he makes music he knows is going to be popular. Um, he strikes me. <laughs> I love that theory. I don't know if it's true, but that's very funny. He's the Johnny like, <laughs> Johnny Depp of the music industry. Just does it. Yeah. Doesn't listen to it. Doesn't look at it after. Just like all right, people like yeah. it. Because like when you see him, like like I've seen him like pick up a guitar and like play all these Nirvana songs, and like he made like a session of of Nirvana covers, and he does a lot of covers, and they're they're all pretty. Like I like it when he's not doing his own music. Is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> you like, know what's actually really interesting about his actual like talent is that that uh, vibrato on his voice that's so fast that you assume is an effect is something he actually physically does. Interesting. Yeah. The one that makes yeah. it sound super auto-tuned? Uh-huh. Oh. Now I'm far That's more cool. impressed. Okay. He has a very strange uh demeanor. Very strange mm-hmm. stage mannerisms and the way he handles the microphone. Like I've never seen like a microphone f- flip up like that. Uh it just seems like an awkward teenager on stage at times. And I don't know, it makes him I guess approachable and <laughs> not so intimidating, but like what I what I hear him on the radio, like I expect a much different demeanor, like something more thugged out and you know with the chest. But he's he's very like I don't know like a bored kid at church with his with the way he walks around on stage. He's kind of just a goofy guy. He's a mm-hmm. goofball, and I I actually really like it. like when you because when you see him, you're like, oh, this is a scary dude. And then he takes Jimmy Fallon to Olive Garden, and it's the most wholesome thing you've ever seen. Um, he's, he's very lovable and like very goofy and it's, it's, def- it's a little jarring. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Tyler, what do you, what do you think of post? I usually don't enjoy the musical guests. Um, in fact, I usually skip through them. Uh, this is one I would have skipped through if we weren't going to talk about it. Um, and I'm fully ready to admit that I'm the problem because they've been doing the musical guests <laughs> since forever. So somebody's into it. Um, even if I'm not <laughs> right. The first one, I couldn't understand most of the lyrics. I thought he had a nice voice, but I didn't know what he was saying. Um, the music wasn't super captivating to me. I liked the dance moves were a little androgynous. I liked that aspect of the performance. Um, kind of like you were saying, Steve, it's, it's not what I was expecting based on his look. And then in, in the second one, 
I didn't get where he was going with the Hansel and Gretel outfit. Um, I I liked the choir and the drummers um, because that's a little more. I don't know that that to me seemed a little more enjoyable musically. Um, and watching the drummers move was sort of like a dance piece. Um, Those drummers were committed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they moved just so fluidly and in such nice sync. I would say I like that one better, even though I can't repeat the the melody to you. I don't know how that went, but I know the lyrics were very clearly his relationship with alcohol, which is like I don't know, moving or whatever. Yeah. I, okay. Well, I'll be I'll be the I'll be the post fan among us. I I think uh, I don't seek I don't seek out post Malone often, but when I hear it, I always like it, and I think he's actually a very unique artist, uh, and I enjoy his music because you think he's going to be a rapper when you see him when you hear his name and then he's not he like sings songs and like writes lyrics and like i mean obviously rappers write lyrics it's actually very very difficult but like they're like uh emotional you know um so like i i, I was enjoying it i liked both songs uh but what, what was really great was the production design of it uh especially in that second song you know i actually i liked the hansel gretel outfit i thought the drummers were really cool uh the fog was awesome it just had a really good it really set the scene and it, i felt like the production design of it was telling us a story um so I, I I really respected that. I love it when 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 there is seemingly a lot of thought put into that aspect of it. So yeah, I enjoyed the performances. Let's get into weekend update for their lead in. Colin Jost and Jay discuss how all the headlines right now feel like the beginning of a Mad Max movie. Now, Tyler, I know you're particularly good at and enjoy joke writing and topical comedy. So uh, what do you think of this weekend update outing? Um. I think, yeah, Weekend Update is one of the most reliable highlight points of the show. Um, I, this is almost so obvious it's dumb to say, but it's it's just wonderfully placed right in the middle to keep... Just, uh, it's almost like a palate cleanser, except it's it's the other thing. Mm-hmm. It's like a hype hype crew. It's a rally. It's everyone from a lull back into to laughing. I was most surprised just by the amount of headlines they brought me that I did not know before. Um <laughs> I remember somebody was telling me this past Friday, oh, it's Friday the 13th, and then there's a full moon coming about. And as a joke, I said, oh, is Mercury in retrograde too? And she said yes, and I thought she was kidding, but then it showed up on on update. <laughs> and Is she the most <laughs> annoying person you know? No, in fact, I, I don't even know her name. I, I, it's just somebody I met <laughs> at work. Um, but yeah, I thought that angle, the most annoying person you know, bringing up the retrograde thing, felt refreshing. I, I'll also say the McConnell scene here doing this setup never gets old for me. I, I don't know how old <laughs> that thing is, but I've never I've never tired of it. Steve, was it a high point for you? Yeah. They had me a grandson. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's just one of many jokes that were making me laugh. Uh I do I do gotta say that Mad Max opening was a great set of n- news stories that they've they all twisted to be part of the mad max lore which i just thought was amazing you know mm-hmm. it all added up so well and you know to top it off with our president being named joe it just works so well but yeah other than that i haven't much to say about it other than it was great i mean it was pretty much all said yeah that's uh similar things i was gonna say it was all really solid i was actually laughing out loud a lot having a good time with it 
Uh, and like you said, particularly that, that first joke up top that linked all those jokes, to get, all those headlines together uh, was really, really smart. And I think set the tone for them to have uh, a really you know, high energy, great update. So it was a win for me. Let's talk about our features. Baby Yoda is here and he's feeling more mindful and spiritual, except for when it comes to baby Groot. So Tyler, on the podcast, there has been a lot of debate about whether baby Yoda should live or die. Uh, I know that you're a big Star Wars fan, so I guess in general, uh, how do you feel about this character and also the specific outing of it? I like Baby Yoda. I think I think he should stay. To me, every time he comes out, I know it's at least going to be a base hit. I don't think any Baby Yoda sketch has ever completely tanked. Um, what I think is the most brilliant part about Baby Yoda is that they get him out there and he never mentions Star Wars. It's the most Star Wars-free <laughs> bit that has the word Yoda in it, which is pretty much where the Star Wars connection <laughs> ends, is the ears and the word Yoda. Um, and I, I love that they they did that. They kept it completely Star Wars-free. Um, <laughs> it's just like, what's he supposed to be, a washed-up hip-hop artist or a wannabe hip-hop? Like Kyle Mooney as Yoda, pretty much? Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm here for Baby Yoda sticking around as long as Mandalorian's on. All right. I'm uh, I'm somewhat indifferent to Baby Yoda in general. I've there's been outings that I really like, outings that I didn't like as much. Uh, but like you said, they've all they've never not gotten, never totally tanked for me. Uh, they've always gotten at least one laugh. Uh, but I do remember. I think the last time he appeared, I said like this this should probably be the last, or they should have a very solid break in between because we've we've seen him a lot. Um, but here we are, and this I believe this is the second time this season. And so maybe maybe they are overusing him a little bit, uh, but this at, at the same time, this was a really good outing of Baby Yoda. I thought I thought this was this was actually one of the better ones. Uh, all of the writing was really punchy. They had some really good jokes in there. I thought the spiritual side of Baby Yoda allowed Kyle to play it down just a little bit. Uh, obviously, he's still pretty animated, you know, but he was a little bit more chill, which I I found enjoyable. So 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 this isn't this isn't bad, uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset if this was Baby Yoda's send off. So yeah, uh, Steve, I actually don't remember where you fall on the Baby Yoda spectrum. <laughs> I uh, I enjoy Baby Yoda. I know it's cool to hate on Kyle's Baby Yoda character. It seems to be vastly hated, but <laughs> it, it seems to be like very polarizing. It's very polarizing. Yes. But I enjoy it. This one was probably one of the weaker ones. It seemed oh. like it was cut down a bit. It's it, it seemed really short. And yeah, I mean they 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 do a thing where they keep elevating uh, Baby Yoda into new uh, new kind of weird celebrity things. All the things that celebrities do now. Now he's in a cult with Santana <laughs> featuring Rob Thomas, Bob the Builder, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it had all of the elements of a Baby Yoda sketch, but it just feels like they were going through the motions a little bit with this. Like, Kyle is still playing it very well, but I just feel like they're not finding anything new with it at this point. But hey, like, at least that, that Baby Groot bit was really great. Like, like it's, it seems like mm-hmm. he's he's learned to just use language instead of actually, like, doing anything showing any meaningful action of 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 having love for his fellow man it's just like i've been taught to say this now i still don't like you baby groot i'm still gonna disrespect really you at every second, opportunity 
I actually thought he was going to apologize. Like they they yes. they milked yeah. it just the right amount. And that was probably the most beautiful moment of all. Is that like you actually thought he was going to make amends with Baby Groot? Uh, so yeah, we're a little uh, differing opinions. Uh, not on Baby Yoda. I think we're we're all somewhat on board with him because so, John's not here, who who absolutely hates him. But I, whereas I thought this was one of the better ones, Steve thought this was by far the weakest one. So mixed reviews. Let's move along to Weekend Update field correspondent Sarah Sherman takes us on a tour of Colin's dressing room. And this, this was amazing. Uh, I Like I just said, the baby Yoda was maybe appearing too much, but th- we've seen this three times this season where Sarah Sherman comes to roast Colin. But the difference is they have revamped it completely. Like this is a totally new take on it, right? Like they really changed it up. It's it's brand new. It's different. It's unique. Like I don't, I, I don't remember a time when uh, Weekend Update has left the desk. Uh, so this was this was incredible. Um, really, really well done. I thought every detail of that dressing room was to die for because I could pause and zoom in for days and keep finding funny little things in that room. Um, it just just such great stuff. Um her energy is just so uh, contagious and she was having so much fun. And then she gets to the point where she drops the photo and handles it like a pro. Um, and that is the magic of SNL and live TV because that, again, that is so, that is exhilarating. That's like, Oh my God, I'm like, this is in the moment. This is happening. Uh, and that's the stuff I love to see because SNL is really the only place outside of, you know, like live theater that you get that. Um, so th- this was this was magical in a lot of ways. Uh, Steve, did you like it as much as I did? Oh, for sure. Uh, a couple of reasons for that. First of all, it's it's a evolution of her bit that she's already been doing on a uh, weekend update, where she basically just roasts Colin with headlines, uh, and she could have easily just kept doing that. People liked it. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, we want more. She could have just given them that. But she, uh, you know, people asked for the faster horse and she gave them a car. Uh, they <laughs> they took her to, uh, uh, you know, put her uh, kind of on a on the street, like beat reporter style. Interestingly, like with the weekend update desk in view, which was which I thought was an interesting choice. And yeah, some of the things you guys touched on, like the uh, the slip up with the the photo like obviously there was a missing joke there i think it was like mm-hmm. important whatever was on that photo was a joke there the way she scrambled to do things like <laughs> trying yeah, to grab a photo like, off the wall there was a <laughs> beat there that re- what to do yeah <laughs> but that's the thing like obviously there was a laugh that was supposed to be gotten by whatever was on that photo uh she did decide not to like bend over and move the camera to get it which i think was the best choice and Colin decided to just lose it and they cut to him just laughing. And that in itself is a funny enough uh, occurrence that like, you know, they got the laugh in the place where they need the laugh mm-hmm. and they were able to move on from that. So, yeah, uh, it, I think I saw a very good example of professionalism in terms of dealing with a live show and how to keep people laughing, even when the way they were supposed to laugh kind of fell off the rails. This was Absolutely brilliant. And it shows that Sarah is just not satisfied with continuing to give you what works, even though she could. She's 
she's she's doing more than she has to, and that's someone you want to see on the show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Tyler, what'd you think? I thought this was pure gold. I, I could go on forever about Sarah Sherman. Um, I think, like you said, handling that moment of a live show like a pro, um, there was that, but if you watch her throughout the season, and especially in this sketch, if you look at the way she moves, um, her the the specificity, the pointedness of her spatial expressions, you can tell she has a very theatrical background. This is somebody who's a incredibly comfortable on stage. Like you said, Catherine, um, she's always having fun. Or if she's not, she's convincing as hell that she is having fun, which just makes her so much fun to watch. When she pulled the blanket off the cage, she hits this this body shape that you know is very deliberate. It works so perfectly. Um, when she said, love you, Colin, the eyes up, the the timing of all her movements and spatial expressions. She's such a theatrically, tr- um, just a theatrical character. Um, and it works. I, I can't think of a format besides SNL. It would, she'd be so perfect for. Mm-hmm. I think another thing about this that really stood out is when we think of uh, her originality, we go to sort of the meatballs type stuff that earned her the name Sarah Squirm in Chicago. Um, Mm -hmm. but when she goes totally original, it's not just the squirm stuff. This was like such a level of originality that fit within the context of the show. And I don't know when the, the Colin roasting started. It's been on SNL for a long time. I don't know when I noticed it. It just sort of felt like it was there. Um, but she is absolutely perfected it. Mm -hmm. She's in her first season still, right? This is her first. Yeah. Yeah. She comes in on the first season and she just. She she does the dose roasting better than anyone, including Che, it, it, with the exception of the joke swap bit. I think I think that one's still a, a crowning achievement. But um, yeah, she really showed herself off here. Um, and l- like you said, Steve, she does. She came in swinging for her first season. Yeah, she is. She's so unique, and she's bringing such fresh ideas to the show and change not afraid to change things up she's not afraid to walk in and pitch what if i do an update feature that doesn't happen at the update desk and they like let her do it and that's just great that's such a i'm happy to see that that the show is uh still willing to evolve and stay on its toes you know so uh i've uh become a sarah sherman fan i remember i was i was hesitant at first because like this is a weird kid Mm. um but then (laughs) she totally won me over because everything she's done has been uh home runs so high high marks for sarah sherman in general and sarah sherman on update let's get into the back half of the show the prince gets to pick his bride but which one is weird uh tyler was this a win what i like best about this one it it was a sketch about a sketch i like a a a (laughs) trope you know because i thought this was going to be one of those um What's the one where Scarlett Johansson and McKinnon come up as mermaids and they're the ugly mermaids? Uh-huh. I was like, okay, they're doing this again, and McKinnon's on the on the far right, so yeah, she's going to be the weird one. But then mm-hmm. they called out that exact trope, so I thought exactly, yeah. the ingenuity of that is what made the sketch. The punchlines, I would give a solid seven, six to seven to each one, um, but mm-hmm. just taking that approach to this to the sketch, I thought was. Um, ballsy and and effective yeah yeah i love that this sketch is basically for us 
Um, yeah. Because <laughs> people like us who watch it and we're like, all right, what's the game? What's the funny thing? All right, what is it? What is it? Because I'm going to review this. Um, so, uh, and then it doesn't come and it can be confusing. So I, I love that it's something that is so meta for like improv sketch comedy people in general because that rule of threes is so pervasive. Uh, and God knows we've seen a million sketches where Kate McKinnon is the third one and she's the weird one. So yeah, I think, I think this is a really fun idea here to, to get a little meta with it and, and do that. And I like that it works outside of that too. Like I can see this being funny to someone who, who is a more casual viewer and like still sort of getting that joke, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, like, like you said, Tyler, I wouldn't say like any of the punchlines or any of the, any of the beats were crazy and like I was just rolling around laughing, but I was more like, Oh, this is funny. That's a cool idea. You know? So, uh, margin, marginal win. Uh, but I definitely appreciated the, the premise of it. Steve, where'd you land? I thought it was very inside baseball. Hmm. Uh, I think when you get what is going on here depends on how hardcore of a fan you are. And how into comedy writing you are. Because, yeah, the rule of threes is just set up very plainly to the point where you're just like, okay, uh, what's what's this third one going to be? What's the quirk? What's the weirdness? And clearly, like, you know, we have an audience member, uh, an audience full of of people who've watched enough sketch comedy to to literally laugh at really nothing funny when Kate delivers her first line as the third and there's nothing, right? <laughs> and and that subverts uh, uh, expectations enough to get a laugh. So yeah, they had they had a good audience to do this with. I could see this kind of falling flat if uh, I don't know if you, you did this in a high school talent show or something. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, it was quite creative to go for this, and uh, I think Mikey's stress of it all was a great way to just give it legs. Cause yeah. like, where do you go? Once, once you blow the top off of it and kind of reveal what you're doing, you know, where do you go from there? You still have to do a sketch. So him being nervous about picking the third one and it, and it works in a fairy tale setting because like, if you like the rule of threes uh, is often used in like those old Jack tales from like, from England and stuff. Uh, you know, there's always like the three maidens and, and one of them helps the the protagonist. Uh, yeah, it's in a lot of older literature, too. So I think I think this has uh, this reaches farther than you might think. All right. So uh, fun to be had on the meta aspects of it, while not necessarily being a belly laugh inspiring piece. Let's keep going. Your boyfriend leaves and we all know he bought that bitch house. Uh, Tyler, what'd you think of this one? This one's fun. Punky Johnson's another one who, uh, when she is on screen, like, I know it's going to be fun. Um, I will say I'm a little biased because every time I hear her name drop, it's followed by how funny she is and how kind and loving and genuine of a person she is. So I, I really want her to do well. Um, mm-hmm. But she, she's got so much charisma. I think she's got like Keenan Thompson level charisma. Um, and. I wasn't really sure. I was like, does this need to be a song? I think each each song was only one verse, and I think they only had like two sets of rhymes per verse. Um, but yeah, sometimes I think that's a direction sketches go is where it's like, okay, I have an idea, but I don't know how to drive it home. Let's make it a song. And 
it works every time, and I think it certainly worked this time. Interesting. I, I, uh, I, I, I thought it, it worked. I thought it just it was inherently a song. I mean, obviously, there's a version of the sketch that's not a song, but like, I didn't feel like it was forcing itself to be a song or anything, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I really, really loved it. I, I thought it was really catchy. I thought Punky had amazing flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the rhymes were pretty layered. They were really smooth. They still had punchlines. Uh, and none of that, none of that's easy to do. Uh, we had a, a cameo from Post Malone that was very welcome. Uh, Chris Red, always amazing. And this, this was just so much fun. It's been stuck in my head as always produced to the nines. And this, this just was, they picked me up that I needed to like have good energy going into the 10 to one. Um, so I, I, I really, really liked it. And to me, Punky hasn't, in my book had a huge breakout moment yet she did have that sketch like a few weeks ago that was like the couples therapist that a lot of people liked but i was a little bit more lukewarm on so this and like she's she's been in some things and she's been fine but this to me was like oh this is punky i like this this is funny this is great this is her energy more please uh so that was really great to see uh steve what do you think i agree with you Catherine. i think this is truly where we see what punky does when left to her own devices. She's been filling in a lot of roles and just doing her job, so to speak for a lot of her career uh, up to this point. She's even been, you know, intentionally miscast as a joke uh, for like the Chloe Feynman understudy sketch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a running gag now that she's not being used for what she was hired for. Basically. And this was a sketch where she actually got to play to her strengths and it pays off very well. She, uh, she really sold it. She really created an energy that kind of, it, it is very reminiscent of that voice in your head that creates doubt and jealousy. I, I think we've all had those crazy thoughts and some of us are able to fight it back. Some of us, break TVs and Xboxes. <laughs> I'm not going to point fingers at anyone, but, uh, I've never done that. Oh no, nor I. I, I mean, I've had it done. I've had it done to me, but, uh, I, I, I started this sketch thinking, Oh man, they just really want to hate on the men tonight. <laughs> you know, us, us white men, you know, we haven't, we been through enough Tyler. Like, come on. <laughs> I can, when I can is, deal with it going to be our a day. More. <laughs> yeah you know but, keep uh, it coming ladies but like uh you know the, the chris red's character got a uh got a moment as well with post malone showing up in a cameo and it kind of having a, a fight back moment uh so they they nailed this uh this jealousy angle from both uh sides of the relationship of the heteronormative relationship i don't want to other anyone by excluding them all right, well, that is that. Let's keep going. The guidance counselors at Old Dirty Bastard High School advise all of the students to model. Steve, was this one a win? I don't think I can call this a win. This seemed pretty half-baked, and uh, it's your typical, we have an attractive host, let's utilize their attractiveness, and this is probably one of the least inspired ways of of getting that sketch out here it's it's you know when you think about like the process of snl 
and how they write too many sketches and then cut down sketches after dress rehearsal. And this makes the cut. I like, I just baffles me because yeah, there was a couple of funny moments here and there, but I, I really, I don't know. I just, I just don't think this was um, up to snuff. And yeah, I think, I think what I enjoyed most was Bowen because I think Bowen just seems to make everything better. Even when it's not the greatest sketch, I just like watching Bowen do Bowen's thing, but (laughs) I don't know. I think, I think Selena had a moment here when she did all the little face poses. Like I think, I think she did well with that gag. Like she actually had a performance moment that was, yeah, for as much as I'm dumping on this sketch right now, that's probably her best comedy moment in terms of performance. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't going to save it, but yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, I thought this was uh, weird. Uh, a, a lot of things up top that were off about it, but didn't ultimately factor factor into it. Like, why is it called Old Dirty Bastard High School? And then, like, I, I like the idea that these guidance counselors are bad and just want people to model. They're like, go to college? No. Like, that that can be fun. But to me, I think what it was missing was a justification. Uh, I really wanted to know why they were obsessed with this. You know, did they get rejected? Did they used to be models? Like what, what happened? What is the reasoning behind why this is happening? You know? And I, so I kept waiting for that and it, it, I never got it. So I was ultimately left kind of scratching my head of, you know, what, what just happened here? Um, yeah, t- Tyler, did, did you make any more sense of it than we did? The first thing I wrote down was justification question mark. Um, I felt that's what the sketch was was missing with the game was some sort of justification. As I thought about it a little, I was like, "Is old dirty bastards is what they want for everyone to go into modeling? Maybe that was the direction they were trying to go." And I just missed it. And then as it went on, they were saying, "Oh, you're 17. Great, stay that age." And I was like, "Oh, so this is commentary about how stupid the modeling industry is." Or somebody on a plane was about to die and she was completely useless and he was just the last thing or she was the last thing he saw. Um, (laughs) I was like, maybe that's really the point we're going through for here is to make commentary on the modeling industry. Um, But yeah, I felt it didn't have a cohesive justification or really clear line. To me, the highlight of the sketch was on the zoom out. I don't know if you saw the extra just to the right of Kyle Mooney, um, but that girl knew how to pose. She was like switching. <laughs> she would hit her pose. She would hold it. It was a clear pose. Hold it for the perfect amount of time. Switch to a new one. All parts of her body were accounted for. She was, I don't know who she is, but she really delivered in the three seconds she had. Shout out to the extras. All right. So uh, a little bit of a head scratcher on the modeling. Let's move into the 10 to 1. The twins had one M&M and now they are going hard in their crib. Tyler, what'd you think of this one? Um, I thought the structure in the game of the sketch, it was just very, very simple, but it was still fun. It was like, we're going to have the twins do something weird. Now we're going to have them do something weirder. And it was very non-cerebral. There was not like a lot of oh, wordplay or pop culture reference or anything. It was all absurdism from the gymnastics to him swinging her around. Um, I think... I think that's good for the the final sketch of the show because you know our brains get tired and I think they we just need some something stupid, something easy, <laughs> just some cotton candy. Although 
the end when they're watching us. That was completely out of left fields. I didn't see how that tied into anything. Um, and I think <laughs> that zoom out where they had the stunt doubles, Sherman and Yang all together in the crib. I think like that was super necessary to end the sketch because the ending that they wrote was not like to me, that really was the ending. It was, it was the sketch shouldn't need to rely on that as much as it does um, mm-hmm. to, to close it out. Um, but that being said, I mean, they did it and it worked. Yeah. I have really mixed feelings on this one. Uh, Cause on one hand, I really love everything Bowen and Sarah were doing and how insane it is that they had this just giant crib set uh, it heightened really well, but also it was just really unsettling. Um, I, it, I was just like, oh god, why, like, why are these babies doing this? Why, like, this is making me so uncomfortable. Uh, and I, I wish again there had been a little more justification for like why the twins were like this and why she's unfazed by it. Like, I, I realized they kind of gave us like the M M&M and M thing, so like they're hyped up on sugar, but that's obviously somewhat of a joke justification, right? Like that's. There's actually something wrong with these babies that happens enough that she doesn't think anything of it. And I don't know. I I felt like we were about to get it. And then it became that she's never drunk in her life. Um, So, yeah, I don't don't know. It it was there was definitely fun to be had. And I'm I'm probably just overthinking it for what it was. But there was something about it that I was like, what is happening? Uh, And not in a way that I was having the most fun with it. Uh, But I will say I I love that Post Malone appeared again. Uh, I like that. Uh, he just came in. He was down to clown because, like, a, like we touched on, he is just a goofy little guy. Um, so I thought that was that was fun to see. Steve, were were you confused by these twins? I enjoyed this, maybe not for like the writing of it all, but definitely for the scale, uh, mm-hmm. the the way they played with scale here and created a huge uh, crib to create the appearance of small babies, even though these are full grown adults, the, the giant hand that came out, the hand, the <laughs> giant pieces of bread, <laughs> all that. And, and the, uh, and the, uh, the really quick switching of, you know, our actual cast members with the stunt doubles or the dummy, you know, you could see the uh, shaking of the headboard, which I think it was like some big door they'd open to let them in and out. But this is always something I enjoy. Like this sketch could have been tighter. It could have had a better premise around it. But I think like from a production standpoint, they really came up with an ingenious way of, of executing cast members playing babies in a crib Mm -hmm. and being nuts. Okay. So so the, the twins uh, definitely gave us things to like. Uh, I think you're right, Steve. The production of it was, uh, it, it occurred to me in the moment that like, Oh, they've, they switch people in and out of that really quick. That's that's kind of cool. How are they doing that? But yeah, that's the end of the rundown. Let's talk about our overall thoughts and ratings. Up first is moment of the night. Uh, Tyler, what's your moment? Uh, Sarah Sherman dropping the the picture. <laughs> the cut to Colin mm-hmm. Joe's laughing his ass off trying to save it, um, and her <laughs> just carrying it through brilliantly. That was the that was the cherry on top of the night for me. Uh, I agree. Sarah dropping the photo far and away moment of the night. It was. It was so funny. It was so, so raw, such a uniquely SNL thing. And she handled it so well. But yeah, that, that moment was to die for. Steve, what's yours? I'm going to go with the big hand handled, handing over the big slices of bread. I don't know. Those, those slices of bread, I know they were like probably made of like foam or something, but they looked tasty. I think uh, just, just the connection of the 
uh, full scale world and then the scale down world and using a big hand to connect them was a great <laughs> moment that kind of sold it all. Yeah. Really, really great stuff there. For sure. Our next category is best sketch. What's it going to Tyler? Uh, can we call Sherman's segment on update a sketch? Does that, does that count? Sure. Well, yeah. I think so. Handily, that's it. I, I don't think it's even a question. I realize you have to ask that, like at the end of the podcast. But <laughs> I don't think anyone would disagree. That was that was the height of the show. Uh, yeah, I won't disagree with you. Weekend update field correspondent is is my best sketch as well. I think I think you could maybe make an argument for the old enough sketch. Um, but this the the field correspondent was so unique, so fresh, uh, and just hilarious. Um, that, that yeah that 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 is for sure my best sketch steve are you gonna make it unanimous sure yeah i i entertained uh the old enough sketch but you're right i mean sarah has been killing it you know with pre-tapes mostly and and her we we do love this weekend update bit that she's been doing but for her to like have it evolve and just execute it so well and have such great jokes and handling the miss, uh, mishap so well, like this is, yeah, this is a, a great moment in her career. You know, when it comes to her career with SNL, I think we're going to look back on this where a lot of people say, this is when I realized she was going to be really good. Mm-hmm. You know, if they haven't already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is going to be an obvious answer, but Tyler, who's your MVP? Well, I will say Bowen Yang, I think, had the most stage time. I think he, he on an endurance level, I think he was the MVP carrying the show. But the knockout is, is Sherman. Yeah. I don't, I, sorry to make her sweep all the categories for me, but she <laughs> duly earned it, you know? Yeah, I, I, think, I think Sarah is definitely definitely worthy of MVP, but just just for the sake of... I, I gave her two things. I, I would like to give my MVP as a recognition to Punky Johnson uh, of having mm. that uh, breakout moment that that I've been waiting for um, to just really really see what is her thing. You know what is what is she bringing to the show? What what happens when we let Punky lead? Um, and and, and it's seeing it soar. So I thought the the cheating song was was really good. Uh, and it was a great showcase for Punky. So I'd like to give mine to Punky Johnson. Steve, who's your MVP? Yeah, I'm going to go with what I've been thinking about. I almost switched because Tyler gave a, a good uh, argument for Sarah Sherman. But I think I'll give it to Mikey Day because Mikey Day did some really great work here. I really loved his live-in boyfriend, obviously. But I also, you know, appreciated his uh, reporter character in the uh, in the Pico sketch, whatever that was called. I think I think he did really well getting pulled over the coals as the prince who killed the dragon. Uh, that was some, some really, really great comedic frustration there. I've always felt he, he was an underrated, always felt he is an underrated cast member. I think he brings a lot to the show without being one of the big stars. Yeah. 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 He For does sure. a lot of utility roles that are easy to fade into the background, but he does them all really well. Yeah. Okay. And on top of that, there's a lot of work under the hood that he does. Mm-hmm. That should get props from time to time. Okay, well, let's talk about the big one. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. Tyler, how would you rate this episode? Uh, decent. Um, I forget what I applied this metaphor earlier, but base hit. Just solid. Mm-hmm. Got on first base. Uh, got the job done. 
was not out of the park or even a triple. Fair enough. I, uh, I, I'm also going to give it a decent. Um, I thought this had some high highs, um, but it also had some very low lows. Um, so, you know, we've talked about Sarah Sherman. That, that's going to be a huge moment of the season overall. That piece was really amazing. Uh, but then we also had the modeling sketch, um, which I just <laughs> didn't get. Um, so, you know, I, it, it, it was a little hit and miss for me. So yeah, I think, I think that leads to a decent episode plus a host that I didn't, didn't really feel ever got totally comfortable. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it has, it has moments, but overall she's decent. She being the show, not Selena. Uh, Steve, what'd you rate it? She is decent. And I came in this thing and I'd give it a week because like my mind kept dwelling on, you know, the model sketch and the baby Yoda sketch that I didn't think was very good in terms of baby Yoda sketches. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I guess that's a mood thing. Cause like I've been talking about it and like, I generally enjoyed most sketches. Like I don't want to say they were amazing, but you know, there's a, mm-hmm. I kind of liked it attitude for me on most of these so yeah it's it's a decent and uh i guess just talking talking about with y'all made me reconsider the week and go uh go one up so yeah it was was really interesting because i i went to bed last night thinking that wasn't good Mm -hmm. uh and then when i rewatched it i i was a lot warmer on a lot of things and I found something to like about a lot more things. So yeah, I think I think there, there's a lot that goes into your like first impression of the show um, that can ultimately be swayed or changed. Uh, something that occurred because you said uh, Gomez wasn't like entirely a standout, and it occurred to me she never sh- she was supporting in every sketch. There was no sketch where she had to carry. Mm-hmm. You know, she was sort of stuck in the middle between powerhouses. Do you think she didn't stand out because of that, or do you think that was a choice? they made because she wasn't a Miley Cyrus. She wasn't a Emma Stone type of host. Uh, it's hard to tell. Uh, I mean, like, like I, I mean, I said up top that I thought she seemed really nervous. You guys thought it maybe was something else. So it, it's really hard to say. I will note though, that on Reddit, someone said that she actually originally was in the cold open playing eighties role, like at the dress rehearsal was playing eighties role and then got switched out. So I don't know if something went down, something happened um that really shifted her energy um but that that is interesting like why why that is to me i I think it is more that i i just don't think she ever got comfortable steve did you think it was more about the role she was given issue or uh her performance issue ah i don't know I i feel like you know she showed a lot of times that she's not really doing the thing she's the greatest at by hosting this show I mean, they're, they're pretty good at catering to any host of any talent level. Uh, I would say I'm, I'm pretty disappointed for someone who's supposed to be a performer and someone who's, you know, been acting since Bernie at age seven. Uh, I, I expected more out of her. And, you know, like I, I remember seeing her in the breath sketch, kind of giving it a really low energy kind of performance and thinking, I hope we're not in trouble here. I'll, I'll say like I because I like I said I generally like Selena Gomez. I think she is a a decent actress. I think she's charismatic. When I was younger, I liked her on the Disney Channel. Like she's funny. Um, but so yeah, something something fell off. So I I, I was a little disappointed. Okay, so so a a night with a, a little bit of a question mark on the host. Some good material, some bad material. But that's the end of our 
thoughts on it. Tyler, thank you so much for being here. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this was this was super cool. I'm glad there are other people in the world and- who spend as long thinking about sketch comedy as I do in a very unhealthy <laughs> oh, way. Yeah. <laughs> glad to not be alone. For sure. And uh, where can people find you? What are you up to? Oh, you can find me, as you said earlier, on Instagram at Tyler Jokes, because uh, Catherine caught that. That's another great compliment when she has to explain the thing to the, the viewers. Uh, <laughs> Tyler J. Oakley on YouTube. My humor truly stands for itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to be, I have a show the La- through the Laugh Index Theater with Catherine on the 25th of May. I have another show with um, Easy Tiger. Um, when's that coming out? You said Kat- it's a week after your show with Boogie Manja, uh, June 8th. June 8th. And a sketch I wrote for Laugh Index Theater just hit YouTube. It's called Pitch Meeting. Um, it's one of my personal favorites, a recurring thing I do. So if you go to Laugh Index Theater Instagram or their YouTube page, um, anyway, you can access it through YouTube to watch the whole sketch. So give that a watch. I'm uh, very happy with how it turned out. Mm. Yeah, Tyler's pitch meeting sketches have been a highlight uh, of of the season over the Laugh Index Theater. They're this great. It's uh, it's like a TMZ esque. Uh, all right, what are the topical things? And everyone sort of pitches a headline, and then a few people tell jokes on that headline. It's it's really fun to do, and they've all turned out really great. All there were two of them. Both of them turned out really good. Uh, so yeah, that next show, like you said, Wednesday eight p.m. on YouTube, and then your Easy Tiger show will be. 9 p.m. on twitch.tv slash boogie manja. Uh, so check that out. Tyler's very talented, uh, both writing and performing. Uh, he, he never misses. So definitely follow him. Look at his stuff. Uh, and speaking, speaking of his stuff, he was nice enough to be uh, the voiceover in my most recent sketch on my YouTube channel. You can find it anywhere you can follow me online, but also at catherineisfunny.com. That one's called Duolingo Danger Mode. Uh, Tyler has a great... Uh, great smooth voiceover voices you've been enjoying listening to for the last hour and a half ish. Um, and uh, hire me. Th- this sketch of mine, <laughs> this sketch of mine is about uh, uh, Duolingo teaching you everything your mom thinks you need to know to travel because we all know moms <laughs> assume the worst will happen. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's what I have going on. If I could add, this is true. A, I promoted that on Instagram. A higher than average number of people watched the sketch and then DM'd me to say how much they liked the sketch, including my mother, oh. who does not do that on every sketch I, I post. Um, <laughs> but she really enjoyed that one. Oh, and good to know. Good to know. Thank you, Mama Oakley. I appreciate the love. <laughs> and um, Steve, this, this is uh, sayonara for a while. Uh, you, uh, <sighs> what you got going on? Well, I've elected to have uh, pretty much the bottom half of my skull removed and reattached to the rest of my skull afterwards. Uh, I will be getting a double jaw advancement surgery in the uh, in the in the hopes that uh, it'll allow me to breathe better. <laughs> but before mm-hmm. I go, you can catch me on Weekend AM on CBC. Uh, next weekend, I'll be interviewing Timo Jintan, a survival doctor who is a, a contestant on the latest season of Alone from the History Channel. Ooh, I love that show. Yes, uh, so you can uh, check that out next weekend. Uh, but uh, this will be my last uh, appearance on the after party until uh, I guess my jaw doesn't have to be wired shut anymore. Uh, I'm scared to death. 
nervous as hell, but uh, you know, it's it's all about it's all about the long game, right? Right. Well, I am certainly sad not to have you uh, for the finale <laughs> next week. Not to have you for our postseason extravaganza. I don't know how to do it without you, but I do hope to see you on the virtual golf course this summer. Uh, hopefully, you can still Absolutely. do that with your jaw wired shut. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be on mic too much, <laughs> but I think I can still swing a golf club for sure, especially a virtual one. I'll I'll work on my Steve impression so that I can speak for you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Get Chloe Feynman to step in for him for the next episode. <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. That is. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks to Tyler J. Oakley and Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Neil Weinstein, Justin Gardner, Grace Kogan, and Brian Clark. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on YouTube or wherever better podcasts can be found. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week for SNL season finale with host Natasha Leone and musical guest Japanese Breakfast. But until then, this has been episode number 161 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm Catherine Coleman. That's my story. I'm sticking to it.